If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Well, greetings, imagination connoisseurs. Welcome to the seventh issue of The Weekly Hero. I'm, of course, your existential Mr. Rogers, Robert Meyer Burnett. But, you know, it isn't a show without my beautiful compatriot, a devastatingly intelligent, very, very knowledgeable fan of all things comic books, sci-fi, fantasy, animation. She knows more about animation than I could ever learn. Chris Carr. What a good intro, Rob. Thank you so much. Did you like that one? I did like that one. Uh, this, I can't believe we've done this uh, seven, seven times. The times. seventh. I know many comic book runs never made it to the issue seven. The Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven. That's, That's where we're at. That's us, baby. You know, and, and we were given a gift today. Mm-hmm. A gift that not many people get. We were given a brand new Marvel trailer Ugh. right before we went on there in the John Campion show this morning. Quantum Mania, where we saw in his full regalia, even though it was in the shadows. Yes. The classic looking Kang. Yeah, done very well. Mr. Myers looking good. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I kept thinking, all you people need to do is call Michael B. Jordan, not as as Killmonger. Just bring him on as Michael B. Jordan. Make him canon, and he'll take care of your Kang problem for you. Mm. Maybe in the boxing ring. That'd be pretty fun. Maybe not. Anyway, so we got to look (laughs) at Quantum Mania. I'm a huge fan of the Ant-Man franchise. I I really like both films a lot. and I appreciate how in the first film, there was no apocalyptic stakes. It pretty much ended in a girl's, in Cassie's bedroom. Yeah. On her train set. Exactly. We had, you know, stakes about family really in that one. And sure, there was corporate intrigue and enterprise and everything as well. And we had, you know, those shield connections. But ultimately, it was about reconnecting with family, finding your place in the world, trying to do the right thing. And it was done so well. And it's such a good balance of humor. I love, you know, and, and that's the thing. People talk about how the the Marvel Cinematic Universe has leaned into certain genres, and a lot of people say, well, Ant-Man was a heist story, and it was, but it also, I thought, had the perfect blend of humor and pathos. Same. Which does not, it's not easy to do, especially mm-hmm. in a franchise film, as we saw in Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. Well, and, and this trailer, I feel, kind of is striking that balance. Obviously, we haven't seen the film. This is the first trailer that's come out. But, you know, I love Paul Rudd in this role, and I just feel like he does a really great job balancing the actual weight of these scenarios with all of that Scott Lang humor, with that Paul Rudd humor so, so well. So the first half of this is just, you know, a little giggle fest. It's so fun having him mixed up for Spider-Man. And then we get into the quantum realm and things go berserk. I mean, first of all, I felt that there was a real sense of wonder. I mean, I mean, whenever the Warner Cinematic or the Warner Cinematic Universe, <laughs> there is no Warner Cinematic Universe. Ooh. Whenever the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. goes into whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy's outer space land or we go into the quantum realm or we go on to like Ego, the living planets, yes. onto his planet. I always feel like we're getting the colors. It's like an explosion. I feel like I've taken some psychedelics. Yeah. And I'm tripping balls. And I I love, I mean, I would assume there's obviously Kang's domain. Yeah. I mean, we know that he there's a city in the quantum realm. It seems like the Chronopolis. It does seem like the Chronopolis to me, where where is a nice base of operations to launch many shenanigans against targets 
that are easily accessible with anyone with quantum uh, abilities or exactly. quantum technology, which is, I mean, this isn't just a city. This looks like an entire universe of there's all kinds of crazy people. It looks people. like Coruscant in the background. It it's, does it's look like Coruscant looking. in the background. And <laughs> and obviously, Kang and, and Chronopolis is, this is a long time part of the, the oh, comic yeah. universe. Mm-hmm. And I love that they're establishing this. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that they're doing this in Ant-Man. Because I, I think of Ant-Man as one of the more grounded uh, MCU titles because, like we talked about, uh, Ant-Man 1 does not turn into some weird apocalyptic thing. But with the addition of the Quantum Realm, because of what they used it for in Endgame, they've suddenly blown up and expanded where it can be or what it can do or what how much meaning it has. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how did you feel about the depiction of well, we, it's not just Chronopolis. It's obviously there's the Grand Canyon of, of where we are. Um, how, of time and space. I mean, I, I, I'm really excited by this, mm-hmm. but I wonder, I mean, they're really pushing the boundaries of the Ant-Man franchise by doing this. They how, are. how do you feel about that? I mean, I'm excited, but I'm wondering how far into comic book lore we're going to get here, right? Because this seems really, really cool. Bold of Cassie to be playing with the quantum realm after her father and grandmother were, uh, well, step-grandma. They're not married yet. Scott's girlfriend's mom. There we go. Right. (laughs) Like bold to push playing around with the quantum realm and contacting it and putting a signal out there. But I'm really excited about this Chronopolis stuff because, I mean, this is Kang's base of operations in the comics. And it was created, though, by a... uh, a different Kang, right? One of the Divergents. Yes. One and of I'm, the many, 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 many Kangs. Yeah. And so, and this is, and then that Kang is removed by the Council of Kangs that forms, which I feel like we've got the Rick and Morty team here, right? Helping work on this. Yes. Council of Kangs feels like something that is just within our grasp. But I'm wondering, is that too, is that too bonkers to introduce in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Or is it just bonkers enough? I think, well, after Loki... And the many different Lokis we see at the end of time, whether it's an alligator Loki, a frog Loki, however many yeah. Lokis there are. A little frog Thor. I think Loved the council, yeah, the council of the council of Kangs is not something I think is too far out. I just mm-hmm. hope, you know, with Thor: Love and Thunder, I thought it went too. It got a little ridiculous. Yeah. I'm hoping. I mean, because Kang is a formidable villain, yes. a very dangerous man, and they're going to base. One of the next two Avengers movies, uh, the Kang Dynasty, I thought was a great storyline. Very serious global implications, multiple uh, teams of Avengers mm-hmm. fighting him on multiple fronts. So I, I think this looks – I really like the trailer. I thought it looked really great. I thought it was very intriguing. Um, but it looks like it's the opening salvo of what – this will be the first movie in Phase 5, which is leading up to – these two Avengers films. Yeah. So I'm hoping this this plots a direction for the universe. And I'm curious, again, with the Marvel cosmology, do, and I don't mean to joke when I say this, do the Celestials know about the quantum realm? Are there Celestials in the quantum realm? Because wouldn't there be? And if they are, again, like with the supernatural, if you live in the quantum realm, did you get snapped when Thanos snapped his fingers? Mm-hmm. Is the quantum realm attached to the larger universe. Yeah, there's just logistical issues that still haven't been addressed. I mean, I know people are always going, why do you care, Rob? And I'm like, I need to know. <laughs> I just need to, to know. To flesh out that world. It's to last no more. I agree, though. They need to make sure that Kang is a absolute threat. And this is going to establish that tone, right? You, you make one first impression. And it needs to be strong. Because, uh, again, and I, I don't mean to always harp on, on Thor, Love, and Thunder. But 
Gore the God Butcher is such an excellent, juicy villain. And Christian Bale did a great job with what he was given in that film. Right. However, we took this villain and it was one and done, like so many of our, our Marvel threats are. That's fair. But on the page, so much more threatening, so much more terrifying, some bigger stakes ultimately than what we saw there. And with Kang, I really, really hope that we lean into how much of a threat he is. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I want to see like there was a there was a serious nature, especially in the Captain America films, that I thought grounded it anchored the MCU from spinning off too much because it really brought brought it down. Captain America had his relationships with people that were very human and very based in our reality. And I think our reality needs to anchor the MCU. You can go out as crazy as you want. You can give us celestials and deviants and ego the living planet, mm -hmm. but you have to have there has to be an anchor to normalcy. And while Steve Rogers isn't necessarily normal, he's a super soldier, when he's introduced in the first Avenger, he's, you know, a scrawny guy from Jersey. And you From Jersey? Well He's a New York kid, maybe. Well, is it oh Brooklyn. Yeah. From Brooklyn. I say Jersey. Yeah, Brooklyn, right? Is he from he's from Brooklyn? He's Brooklyn and then Spidey's Queens, right? Right, right. Yeah. That's right. He's so but it's it's did I say Jersey? I don't know why I say Jersey. That's okay. Um That's um, why I'm here. Different state. <laughs> But that's that's um, uh, that keeps the universe grounded. And when you get too far away from that, you lose that tether. Luckily, we've got. I mean, it looks like Cassie Cassie's has her mix. own quantum suit now. Yes, She's which, got. Did she make that before she got there? Did they just make these suits when they're in the quantum realm? I mean, it we'll looks like out. they get sucked in. Yeah. Or does that happen later? I don't know. But are we intrigued? Uh, very, very much so. And I really want to know what Michelle Pfeiffer knew. Because it was, oh, I didn't yeah. tell you everything. Well, Ooh. she was there for 30 years. Exactly. I want to know about all those shenanigans that went down while she was trapped there. I mean, did she did she know Kang? What if she has to tell Michael Douglas she was married to Kang? <gasps> didn't Kang work should out. be so lucky. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, man. I mean, uh, it's pretty crazy. So we're both excited. Heck yeah. You know what else excited me? What? Well, over the last week... I've been I've, a big question mark in my mind has been Wakanda forever, mm -hmm. and all we've really seen are two trailers that we both all I think we would agree we've liked the trailers, liked everything oh, we've absolutely. seen. They've been masterpieces, uh, and not knowing exactly what is this movie going to be like, they have been dropping clips. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our President's Day special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. There's TV spots, but there has been some clips. We've seen Riri Williams in a Target has been one of the things they've dropped, which, you know, looks fun. Yeah. But the clip that I am most interested in and that you are most interested in, tell us about this clip. Oh, my gosh. The Lab Attack clip that was released this morning. Um, we're filming this on a Monday. It was released Monday morning. Oh, my gosh. This looks so fun. We are seeing new weapons from Shuri's lab being used. We're seeing the Dormelage come in and, and fight while bantering, too, which, I mean, I... I'm just starting to learn boxing. I can barely count punches and move at the same time. The fact that they can have full-blown conversations about new weapons, ooh, that's why they're trained and I'm not. I have to say, I, when I, I loved this conversation because it harks back to Star Wars, you know, about lightsabers, uh, an elegant weapon, 
for a, mm-hmm. and you've got a koya. Sure, he's made like what looked like light daggers. Yeah, you know, and and a koya is like no, 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 no. Those are not elegant. Not like these. Not like her giant metal pike that she could run you through. Mm-hmm. I loved all that. Those and things were sick, though. They were dope. Oh, I mean, I, I but I loved seeing that. Obviously, it brought up a lot more questions. Who are they fighting? Where are they? What are they doing? You've got our, you've got two of our Dora Milaje main characters that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on? Yeah, why are they in this lab? What's I, there that is worth attacking? I don't know, but obviously th- this is this and the Riri, Riri Williams. I couldn't really tell. Is this part of the movie or is it a Target ad? Did Riri Williams <laughs> steal the idea for a, a power source from a girl that she met building blocks in Target? I mean, I'm like, what the hell? Anyway, I'm still, I'm in. Inspiration comes from everywhere. Uh, apparently so. I mean, maybe but maybe she was stealing from a kid the way Kanye steals from, <laughs> or the way Quentin Tarantino steals from Kanye. Oh, man. But um, <laughs> no, but I, I thought that, um, the, that this clip was, you know, very intriguing. It just, it's, it's not even, I think it's 30 seconds long. Yeah. Short and sweet. Let me, I've got it. And already, seven seconds. already I am so, I am so excited to see, I mean, maybe I'm expecting this movie to do too much because I wanted to sort of, re, I'm expecting that the geopolitical situation in the MCU as it exists post Thanos snap is going to be defined by what happens between Wakanda and Talacan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, what that is, but I would imagine that there's got to be some reference unless we don't know when it takes place. Does it take place? Does it start during the blip? I, d- I don't know. It's There's so many questions still because, yeah, the trailer doesn't seem to have a definitive timeline. The trailers, I should say. Some seem pre, some seem post. You know, we don't know when this factors into when Chachala passes or how that even happens. All I know is that. Uh, Angela Bassett, who can be my queen any day of the week. Oh my gosh. Uh, to see more of her. I mean, first of all, can somebody, can we just talk about, I should mention that the costume designer, yeah. card is going to be tomorrow on Designing Hollywood on our channel. But she already won an Academy Award for her work. But my God, the dresses that Angela Bassett is wearing in this movie alone, give her all the awards. Oh, yeah. Give Ruth all the oh, awards. This is, Ruth's going to get another nomination. Unbelievable. For sure. And hopefully, since the win again. I just, I'm so excited. This made me more excited for the fight choreography. This made me more excited about what's potentially happening here because are we doing experiments with vibranium and amantium? You know, that sort of thing. Are we bringing that all in here? And and to your point too, those geopolitical machinations, I think are going to be a really cool thing to bring into the MCU because while we've gone on a lot about how things have gotten very galactic in in the MCU, I am excited about the the global perspective on things. I'm really excited to see how Wakanda stepping into the light right around the blip too with all of their resources and all of their advancements is seen by the rest of the world and how everyone else feels about them because from a UN standpoint I'm sure this did not go over well. Well that's the, I, it's funny that you bring up the UN cuz I keep thinking about that like is Wakanda part of the UN now and if Wakanda is does that mean the Talakan Empire Confederacy hegemony whatever they call themselves mm-hmm. Do they have to petition? Do they want to be part of the UN? Is there a UN in the yeah. MCU? I mean, I know there kind of is because of the Sokovia Accords, yes. but how does it all work out? Exactly. And maybe other people aren't interested in that, but I find that fascinating. Uh, I want to understand the political hierarchy, especially if we're going to then get into Dr. Doom and these other characters who are leaders of their own countries. I feel like that's a really cool perspective to bring in here. And how does what what is the U.S. position on a on a beef between Talacan and Wakanda, mm-hmm. do you step in? I mean, obviously, Wakanda 
doesn't need our weapons or our armaments to sort of uh, whatever. Wildly advance. Yeah. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. And do we get a say? And does anyone care? Do you try to form allegiances? That's all very interesting to uh, me. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, very exciting. Um, You know what else is very exciting? What? The rumors that there's going to be either a Silver Surfer movie. Ooh, yeah. or, or, Or Silver Surfer is going to be. Look, I am not happy with the way Silver Surfer has been portrayed, Silver Surfer and Galactus wasn't bad no, in Doug Rise Johnson, of the Silver Surfer. Admirable job. I mean, uh, admirable job. He he was great in the role. Doug Jones is great in everything he does. Yes, but that was not a script that was beneficial to him or to the character. You know, I've always loved the Silver Surfer. His name is Norrin Rad, mm-hmm. and he's from the planet. Uh, oh gosh, um, uh, Leviathan. New, yeah. No, I just forgot. We I know just went we were just it. talking about this before. Um, Zenla, Zenla, because he's Zenlavian. Yeah, there he's, we go. he's Zenlavian. He's yeah. Zenla is the name of the planet. Uh, now he was a very noble man. He was an astronomer, astronomer, scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and by the way, Zenla is a utopian civilization. Yes. Uh, beautiful place. Unfortunately, it is a place that Galactus was going to devour. And Norn Rad is is able to convince Galactus not to, of course, uh, Silver Surfer was created by Jack Kirby. Yes. And he was introduced in the pages of Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, Silver Surfer 1, the Sentinel of the Spaceways. But uh, Norn Rad makes a sacrifice in order to save his planet and the woman, the woman he loves, his mm-hmm. wife. Wife? Yes, wife. Yes. Girlfriend, wife. Wife. Uh, he agrees to become the Herald of Galactus. And and it is his job to find planets that Galactus can devour. Can devour, but he's hoping to find planets that don't necessarily aren't teeming with life like his own planet. And it's sort of his story begins from there. Um, are you a fan of the Silver Surfer character? Because when I was a kid, people used to tell me like I was the only DC fan in my neighborhood. Okay, and all the other kids were like, well, you know, Silver Surfer is more powerful than Superman is. And I'm like, how do you how do you compare and contrast? I mean, he is one of the most powerful characters within Marvel. And, and you know, I would say within comic books. So much so that Mephisto himself was after him and defeated by him. Yes. Um, he was mostly interested in him, though, for his pure heart because That's... of his love for Shalabal, Um, Where it was, oh, my gosh, such a pure heart. Shalabal, his, his wife. His wife. Um, and so, you know, you have this this very noble, as you said, heroic character who has incredible uh, cosmic powers, you know, so he can absorb and ma- manipulate energy, um, obviously can traverse through space. It's a really rad character. And to what we were talking about on the main show today is, you know, could you even do this character without the Fantastic Four? And you and I both argued for sure you could. You don't you wouldn't do the the parting of ways from Galactus because, you know, the Fantastic Four is who integral kinda, to that. Yeah, they're the ones removing who, him. But but his his I mean, you could definitely if Marvel wanted to do like a werewolf by night story, mm-hmm. imagine introducing that planet and introducing a beautiful utopian civilization, introducing Norin Rad and then realizing to he, he realizes to his horror that Galactus is coming and they've heard of they know who Galactus is. Galactus is maybe so you do a whole story about him making that sacrifice yeah that's the story you know giving up his everything that everything he is everything he loves to save his planet if they did it I mean I don't see it as a movie because there's the the conflict is that sacrifice and 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 if you did it I don't know if Marvel's going to do more hour-long 
shows. I mean, we know there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what that is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that. Merry Christmas. Yeah. We just met the Silver Surfer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey. Um, but they could do something like that. And I think that would be, that's a cool hour long. It reminds me of an old Outer Limits. I, I was a big fan of the two seasons of the Outer Limits growing up, the mm-hmm. show from the 60s. This would be Norrin Sacrifice could be like an Outer Limits episode yeah. in the MCU. I think that would be really, really cool. I mean, you, you could also, you could just focus on the Heralds of Galactus in general yes. is a great way to kind of introduce some characters. And I know some of those might be a little convoluted, right? Of like, we're going to have Nova, and the first time we're seeing Nova is maybe as a Herald of Galactus. That maybe would be a little iffy. But having these people and these different aliens who have had to succumb to Galactus's will in order to save their own people who made noble sacrifices, but ultimately then become complicit in the murders of millions... Right. You know, I think that's billions. really billions. Yeah. Planets. That's a really interesting story to look at. Or like the God Squad or the Annihilators. There's so many other things you can do as these little one offs that I think would work in that kind of werewolf by night format when it's that slice of life. Here's this tiny moment in their story. Right. A hunt of some sort, a meeting of the heralds, that sort of thing that could be really, really interesting and give us that backstory in as opposed to doing that when we're also meeting the Fantastic Four for the first or second right. time. I mean, because I, I felt like one of the things, I thought Gore the God Butcher was kind of done a bit dirty mm-hmm. in Thor Love and Thunder because his backstory was dealt with in the first five minutes of the movie. And I, I, I mean, that would have really lent itself well to an hour-long story. People might say, well, Rob, you know, we did they did it in five minutes in the film. But there could have been there. There was so much more to it than that. You could have done more of a setup. You could have met his wife. That was, I guess, cut out of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have seen a lot more of that. And in a way, this story. I mean, there's a lot of comic book tropes. This story is similar yeah. to what Gore was facing. It's just that our character ends up not being a, a evil himself. He has to align himself with yeah. a being, a creature, a machine, a thing that can be is considered evil because his job is to devour. Yeah. I was going to say, he doesn't get corrupted in the same way as Gore, but he is doing something incredibly horrible. But for for reasons that, you know, he's trying to do the right thing. I'm going to save my planet. It's a great morally gray area, right? Of if if some were to come to Earth and it was, hey, we'll save Earth, but every other planet is going to be eviscerated. Yeah, tough for them. Tough being them. (laughs) I feel like many a noble human being would be like, that seems fair. No, I need to save Earth. Okay, I'll go do that. (laughs) Many, many a not noble human being would be like, yeah, I got to save her. <laughs> no, it's true. But I, I do think it's a great way if they decide to go that way to use these hour long, this format, you could tell this story because it is a great story. And I, I once I learned when I was a kid who the Silver Surfer was, mm-hmm. I became a big fan. I was, yeah. And because the Silver Surfer, ha, once he was sort of extricated from Galactus, he came to Earth and sort of exile, but he, he interacted yeah. with a lot of Marvel characters. I mean, he's Yeah, he's part of, I think, the Defenders at one point. Yeah. Yes, he was. Which is wild. Yes. But tons and tons of different team-ups because, yeah, that was part of his punishment was, hey, yeah, you, you, you know, severed ties with Galactus, but now you have to live on this planet that you helped save. Which is also kind of because he was not from here and he was a sad man. Mm -hmm. You know who's not a sad man? Who's not a sad man? Actually, it's true. He's sad. Batman. Batman. No one knows what it's like to be the The Batman, Batman. (laughs) Uh, to be the sad man behind Behind the cowl. (gasps) Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. We didn't plan that, by the oh, way. Oh, shit. We're around each other too much. Wow. 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 <laughs> so I would like to talk about 
uh, one of the definitive Batman, at least definitive for the modern age of Batman, yeah. the 1989 graphic novel, the painted graphic novel by Grant Morrison, Arkham Asylum. Yes. And before we do that, because that's our issue that we have today, mm-hmm. we're going to go to our sponsor. Guys, we want to take a moment and thank a sponsor of today's video, Wondery, and their new podcast, the official Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. Guys, it's time to go deeper into the canals of Numenor, the mines of Khazad-dûm, and more with the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. Host Felicia Day and several special guests provide an inside look at the groundbreaking series and what it took to bring Middle-earth to life. Each episode of the official podcast features exclusive interviews with the series showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, including the very first full breakdown of the incredible season finale. Felicia also goes behind the scenes with the cast and crew to bring you jaw-dropping stories and Easter eggs that you won't want to miss. So watch The Rings of Power on Prime Video and listen to all eight episodes of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. And we are back. Thank you to Wondery for sponsoring this episode of The Weekly Hero. Now our issue, our issue, the issues that we have, clearly yes. we're on the same page because we can sing together and make up lyrics on the fly. <laughs> Amazing. We're right here, man. Uh, so, look, I remember when this, I remember when Grant Morrison and Dave McKean's graphic novel, Arkham Asylum, came out in 89. Now, Grant Morrison had said the inspiration for this actually came from Len Wein, the creator of Wolverine. Len Wein had written a few paragraphs about Arkham Asylum, like in Who's Who of the DC Universe. And Amadeus, was it Amadeus Arcane? Yes. Uh, and then Amadeus Arcane went crazy because of the stock market. Amadeus Arkham. Uh, Amadeus, did yeah. I say Arcane? Yeah. So I'm thinking of Abigail Arcane. Different. <laughs> yes, Arkham. Amadeus Arkham. Let's get it right. Um, and so he used that little that little bit that Len Wein had thrown out as the entire basis of Arkham Asylum gave it everything. It wasn't just a place where Batman, Batman's rogues gallery was kept, but also it had supernatural elements. And and with the addition of having all of the great Dave McKean's painted artwork, I mean, look at the Joker. The artwork in this, I remember reading this, and um, uh, it's, it's Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. Mm-hmm. So that was the full title of it. And that was actually taken from a poem. Yeah, Don't, I mean, again, the depiction of the rogues in this graphic novel went on to – it influenced the Arkham video games. It influenced – and again, this was on the heels of – the Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. it's three years after that was wrapped up. I don't think without the Dark Knight Returns, these kinds of things would have happened no. in the DC Universe. What, what is your take on this? I mean, obviously we get to see. This is to me, and for Halloween, if you want to read something for Halloween, I know we said Batman, the long Halloween, and the the, the subsequent sequels and yeah. prequels, all that. What would you say to people about this? I mean, like we were talking about off camera, though, Batman just lends himself to spooky season. The rogues gallery. I mean, look at this. This art, though, is wild. McKean's stuff here, because it looks like I was telling Taylor, it's just all, it's almost like the paintings are just melting and dripping. Someone just kind of threw a bucket of water and let everything settle down. Yes. And there is this griminess to it, and it's so off-putting. And that mixed with Grant Morrison's twisted-ass mind, because this is the guy who gave us, you know, Doom Patrol, who gave us, you know, um, Batman R.I.P. He does great work with Batman. Um, it's such a really, really 
creepy kooky comic. And this is basically our definitive look at Arkham Asylum. This is what made Arkham what it is and how yes. we always perceive it to be. In this story too, right, we have the the inmates have all escaped. They're being led by the Joker. Arkham is just being run amok. And you got to get back in there, Bats, and make sure we get this all situated. And it is a psychologically disturbing look at what goes on and, inside and if that you place. don't get it, the, that actual image of Norman Bates that was a little bit changed, that's actually Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates. It's a very famous still from Psycho. I, I mean, just look at, by the way, I've never been able to get a, a house of cards that's that tall. I was very good at making <laughs> house of cards, but that I could never do. I mean, but look at this. You got a little Harvey Dent in there. You got Joker in there. You cannot go wrong. Uh, and this this book since 89 has been, it was originally a hardcover. Yes. And then it's been published as an absolute edition. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a special edition, special too. edition, yeah. omnibus, edition, whatever. Yeah. There's so much in this comic. But the the artwork, I mean, look at this image. If that isn't terrifying, uh, I mean, in terms of and, and it's funny because I was kind of thought that Jared Leto's Joker was almost in a way the closest to this Joker. I mean. Uh, in terms of just the way he was at, now you could say Heath Ledger, but Heath Ledger was a little bit lower key than this Joker. I mean, sure. Heath Ledger's Joker was also good. Well, I mean, there is that. I know I it's just subjective. Look I like know him. it's subjective. In terms of looks, yes. Aside from all the face tattoos and the I'm so hashtag. But I always felt like, like to me, the the Heath Ledger Joker is very calculating. Yes. You know, he's he might be an anarchist and want to watch the world burn, but he's not insane. Mm -hmm. And he takes umbrage when you do say he's insane. That is true. You know, he gets a little, so he's, I true. never saw the Heath Ledger Joker as the Arkham Asylum Joker. I don't think we've ever seen that Joker totally depicted on screen. I mean, the closest we've come to them is the video games, honestly. Absolutely. And a lot of that is, you know, Bats' own just like descent into madness. Yes. Right? And that that's honestly the closest thing we have as an adaptation from this comic is that game. Um, which I know a lot of people don't think it sticks the landing. It worked for me. I don't know. I found it very immersive and I really enjoyed it. But this one is so, it's just so creepy. It's just so creepy. And every moment that he is on the page, like the Joker is just such a threat and it's done so well because it is that agent of chaos right it is that you don't know what's going to happen next once you flip the page here and i do feel that this single graphic novel has been the most influential piece of comic dumb on all of the batman franchise moving forward in any medium whether it was batman the animated series whether it was the arkham video games whether it was chris nolan's batman trilogy and because the idea of what they did with the scarecrow you know, when the Scarecrow is using his dust mm -hmm. when Killian Murphy's, it is, it's inducing Arkham Asylum in everyone's mind in a way. Yeah. So all of that stuff comes right out of this work. Oh, yeah. It's it's a major theme in this whole run is that how the, the inmates perceive their own insanity. Right. And, and how they view themselves and their crimes and everything is a really, really fun thing that goes out throughout this. Um, and they do all these kind of Alice in Wonderland parallels too of the looking glass that is the asylum. Yes. And I, I, I have no evidence to support this, but the idea of leaning into moon nights, I know it's a different, I know it's Marvel, yes. but I do believe that a lot of moon, cause moon Knight was always talked about as being a Batman ripoff in a way. And I know that Bill Sienkiewicz, early on in his career when he was first drawing Moon Knight, was criticized about his stuff looking like Denny O'Neill's 
Batman work, you know, and, and, um, um, the stuff from his, the comics he was doing. And, um, I never felt that was those, those Batman comics were that way, but Neil Adams, the artist, Neil Adams was literally who drew Danny O'Neill's Batman. Mm -hmm. Neil Adams, everyone said Bill Sienkiewicz was aping Neil Adams as an artist, you know, and, and I thought that Danny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman was a definitive Batman, but, but that's why I was kind of felt when they leaned into. And by the way, Bill Sienkiewicz, you were not aping Neil Adams, even though you told me that, you know, he was definitely an inspiration for you. I mean, in our interview together. But I, I do think that Moon Knight was influenced by Arkham Asylum later, and we saw that in the Marvel series. I think so too. Well, because I mean, this this really is a very like Carl Jungian surrealist look at the macabre. Uh, oh, absolutely. And and I know we had something Batman last week that was also very, very stylized, too, when you look at Tim Sale's In art, a very different way, though. so different. And this is one of those things where I do think, because you're a DC boy, I'm more make my Marvel. This is where I think DC really shines in the pages. DC's been able to play in their sandbox when it comes to the print of, hey, let's take our IP and go hog wild with it. Let's explore Lewis Carroll and quantum physics. Let's right. explore this kind of very noir, um, pulpy kind of environment. They do an excellent, excellent job of that in a way that I don't think Marvel has always stuck the landing, aside from a few things like Spider-Man noir or things like that. But when you get Batman and you do these very, very surrealist, creepy stories and you really play with the world and play with the actual psychological notions of all these characters, ooh, Oh, it's all so good. And and you're right. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever allowed Marvel to go this far or or this sort of off. Because look, if 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 I was eight years old and I cracked the pages of Arkham Asylum, I would have I would it would have terrified me. I would have run screaming to my parents. I don't think Marvel's ever allowed their characters to be had anything go as far as Arkham Ooh. Asylum does. Well, because, I mean, Marvel was such a pioneer, but in the 60s, right, when Stan was saying, no, we are going to talk about these issues. We're going to talk about drug use in a very, very real way. We're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about, you know, um, LGBTQ community. We're going to talk about the... It was a very great issues-based company that was really on the forefront of things. But it, when it came to the experimentation of playing with their characters and the worlds they've built, I feel like that's where they've really limited themselves. And, you know, especially in the wake of, of The Dark Knight, I mean, that mid going from Frank Miller's Ronin to then go to The Dark Knight and, and DC saw that you could do these kinds of things and readers would re respond. Yeah. I just wish they would, you know, parlay that into their cinematic world. Yeah. Although the kind Todd Phillips Getting Joker, it. it's not like this, but it's different. I you mean, know, and that's fair. And that's and that's a film that I went, I'll see this once and I'll never have to see it again. But it did do that. It did do, uh, let's play in the sandbox and let's see those limits. Matt Reeves's Batman, I think, also is a really great, hey, let's play within the sandbox and let's see what we can do. If Matt Reeves did this, if he did Arkham Asylum as a second issue, second movie. That's what I wanted for that. That would be insane. You know, when they were talking about the Arkham series that was supposed to happen, yeah. I really was hoping for this kind of, you know, serialized look like this. So once again, we're simpatico. Yeah, and everything except for Jared Leto. What the hell, man? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I know. He didn't get his due. Go watch Mr. Nobody for a great Jared Leto performance and then come back to me and you tell me you don't love him because of that movie. You should watch that movie too. Watch the director's cut. And that brings us to, of course, my favorite segment because it's all about all me. All about you. Well, this, this is a, a different Hot Toys segment because it's not about Hot Toys. It's about a third-party unlicensed figure of a DC character. So hopefully you'll enjoy this. And this goes out to So-So Toys. 
All right, everybody, I am here with the Viceroy of Verisimilitude, the Sultan of Sugar Daddies, and the Titan of Twerking. Rob, what do you have for us today? Well, today is something different. It's not a hot toy figure. It's what's known as a third-party figure. It comes from, my, in my estimation, the best third-party. That means unlicensed. So they don't have a license to make these figures officially, but they make them anyway. Because, unfortunately... No licensed company is going to spend the money on these figures, and we collectors have to turn to third-party figures to get what we want. Now, this is Brenton Thwaites. In honor of Titans Season 4, this is So-So Toys. They call it the Night Vigilante. And as you can see, I think So-So Toys is almost as great as Hot Toys. I mean, I think the likeness is on point. There's even a light-up feature in... And, uh, I mean, look at this. These, both of his, what do you call these? Nightsticks, nunchucks? I don't know what you call them. Um, I really love this figure as a longtime Titans fan. Uh, I think this is an incredible figure. The likeness is great. They also make a figure of him as Robin, which is also excellent. Uh, they make uh, Jason Todd Robin as well. So I'm a huge fan of what So-So Toys has done. Uh, I, I, I mean, the fact that... They even have this light-up feature. It's pretty amazing, so good on them. There's also some really interesting... I mean, this is a pretty basic figure, but he does come with a stand. But he also comes with, in the back here, a magnetic... So there's a magnet in the back, and you can take out his uh, throwing stars or whatever. You know, look at that. How cool is that? And then this just affix uh, right there on his... On his, what do you call that? I don't want to, you know... You know what I'm talking about. His booty. His, his booty. Looks pretty damn good. And um, huge fan of this figure. I think the likeness is really on point. Um, I really like the fact that some of these, these uh, the, the armored pieces come off. They're little tiny Velcro strips. Really, really clever. So-So Toys does a phenomenal job on these figures. And, you know, if, if a bigger toy company like a Hot Toys is not going to look at something like the Titans, I mean, then... Where are you going to turn? And if you have a DC display, you can put the cinematic Justice League. But then I also like getting the Titans figures, whether it's Superboy, whether it's, you know, our Red Hood Robin, the Jason Todd Robin, whether it's this Robin, whether it's the, the uh, Dick Grayson Robin or the Dick Grayson Knight. They call it something else, the Knight Vigilante, not Nightwing. I really enjoy this figure. I think it looks terrific and uh, great detail and great sculpting. And the fact that they, very clever use of light up features. I mean, tiny little battery in there. Really, really, really well done. And uh, there's nothing about this figure I do not like. I cannot wait to see season four of Titans. I really want them to put Brother Blood in the full on Brother Blood outfit because he's my favorite. I love Brother Blood, my favorite Titans villain and one of the great uh, costumes in all of DC comic dumb. So, yeah, here we go. Great figure. Very big fan. So-so toys. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Well, you know, what can I say? If I can't buy hot toys, I'll buy anything. It's still a hot toy. It is, a, a, it hot is a hot toy. toy. He's a hot dude. Mm -hmm. And it's a hot toy. Only, you know, he's one six scale. Yeah. As I, that's, only, that's the only scale I collect. Well, anyway, that brings us to the end of issue seven of The Weekly Hero. 
We've got Wakanda Forever in just a few weeks. Yes, we do. We got the second weekend box office of Black Adam to talk about maybe next week. Mm-hmm. What do you think our issue might be? Any idea? It's going to be Halloween. Ooh, what are we going to do? What's going to be on Halloween? See, I want us to kind of do a spooky off. Like Ooh, I'd like to talk off. about like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. And I like that. Fun. Have you read that one? Yes, I have. Okay. Maybe I'll do like Emily the Strange or Ooh, something like that. You know, I know, right? Yeah. Or some kind of whatever the spooky issues are going to be. Yeah, we could do a little from hell. You guys, let us know if you want to have a, a special spooky edition of the Weekly Hero. We can go spooktastic on Monday. We should go spooktastic. Put down in the comments below what your spooktastic issues are yeah. that you want to see us talk about next week on issue eight of the Weekly Hero. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris Carr, where can people find you? You can find me at, at actor Chris Carr on both Twitter and Instagram, or you can check out my voiceover studio, speakfriendstudio.com. We're on Instagram now, too. DM me and learn about getting into voiceover. I've got a class coming up November 12th. It's a boot camp. One day, four hours, commercials, video games, animation. Ah, it's going to be so fun. And you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at RMBurnett, or find me on Post Geek Singularity on YouTube. And that's pretty much every place you can find us. But you can find us here every week on The Weekly Hero. So for myself and for the lovely Chris Carr, who knows a lot about comic books, I guess we have to say goodbye. Yeah. Are we going to sync up again? Are we going to sing? No one knows what what it's it's like. like. I don't know the rest of it. (laughs) To be the bat, man. To be the sad bat. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our President's Day special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.